This is Comics Catch Up. Where we read comics suggested by you, the listeners of War Rocket Ajax, that we have missed. Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes, I love to write, I love to write on paper, I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better, as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comics Catch-Up. My name is Matt Wilson. Or Chris- is it? Oh, Chris Sims is here with me. 
Or am I? Or is that his name? And uh, we're we're tipping our hand here. This is a show where we read comics that we missed in the many years of comics that we've been reading. Can't read everything, folks. And you tell us what we should catch up on. Then we catch up on it and we rank it on our giant Every Story Ever list, which has more than a thousand stories on it now. It does have more than a thousand stories, Matt. And we're going to add one more here this month on Comics Catch-Up. For October, during this very spooky time, we have opted, even though the poll did not reflect it, I got some passionate requests for us to read the 2015 Image comic Nameless, a six-issue series by Grant Morrison, one of our all-time favorites, and Chris Burnham, friend of the show, Mm -hmm. the collaborators on Batman Incorporated. Yeah, they are. Prior to that. And, uh, And check that out. And Chris... I am very curious what you thought of Nameless, because you are a big Morrison guy. It's very true. Not a scary stories guy. Don't like to be scared. Sometimes people like to be scared. Yeah, certainly not a scary movie guy. Uh, You've said you can handle a scary comic, because it's a different kind of deal from a scary movie. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless... Scary stories in general, not your bag. Not at all my bag. Before we get into the the book, though, I do do want to point out that this was uh, suggested by uh, a long time ago by Robert, uh, who actually sent me a copy of Nameless uh, in hardcover. He sent us both copies of Nameless. Yeah, which was very generous. And that uh, was actually, I think, a, a, a bit ago. That was like uh, back in 2017 that he actually sent it. And we've been meaning to do it since, but we've been running the poll. So thank you to Robert for uh, sending that over and uh, giving me the chance to read this. I will say, if you are going to read this, I do think the the physical hardcover is probably the way to go. Uh, if for no other reason than it does have... like. Um, a little bit of commentary from Morrison at the end, and it has a a really neat uh, element in the, the like inside front cover. I guess the like front piece is the weird uh, like symbol, and then the uh, the inside back cover is that same symbol, but instead of being like drawn in whatever fluid it's drawn in on the cover, it's the like you know. Uh, refined version of the symbol, which I thought was a really cool way to uh, bookend the book, book begin and bookend. The yes, book. and the the symbol is the symbol of Jabalba, the Mayan underworld, the Mayan afterlife, which we come to find out in the book is actually a real place on an asteroid that is hurtling toward Earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is something that becomes sort of the crux of the story. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that that commentary from Morrison that's in the back that not only explains sort of where the idea for this book came from, but also sort of what is actually happening in it is sort of 
completely necessary. Yeah, it's much like like the the comparison piece to this. This is about as far from Batman Incorporated as it is possible to get. Uh, but I think the the comparison, if you are a Morrison guy, as I am and as you are, Matt, uh, is the Invisibles and uh, almost like to a, a lesser extent the Filth. Uh, which I think are the Invisible certainly is a book that virtually requires the companion book of annotations to deal with. Yeah, I, I my first comparison point was to the filth. What, one thing that I wanted to get into in this is how Grant Morrison is a study in contrasts. Mm-hmm. Grant Morrison colon a study in contrasts, and. I want to say there are two Morrisons, but I feel like there's more like three Morrisons. There's an infinite number of Morrisons throughout the multiverse, Matt. That's at least 52. But I I do think that it's interesting because in his book Super Gods, Mm -hmm. he talks about a very concerted approach to comics, the comics he writes – and depending on the status of particular sunspots, he either writes very hopeful comic books or more or kind of darker, more sinister comic books, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a Morrison that's somewhere in the middle too. Cause because there's a Morrison who does like kind of brighter superhero comics. There's the Morrison of JLA and I guess to a degree New X-Men, even though New X-Men is kind of dark in places. Uh, certainly Batman, though it has its dark moments. But there's like kind of brighter Morrison superhero comics. Yeah, for sure. And then there's the the really dark stuff, like say The Filth or The Invisibles or Happy seems to probably fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's kind of like a middle ground. Like his his Green Lantern run, or something kind of weird and quirky like Sea Guy. Mm-hmm. This is certainly on that far end of weird and dark. Yes, very much so. Like it's it's not quite as nihilistic as it seems like it's gonna be. Uh, by the time you get to the end. But it's certainly it, it's no uh, it's no Superman talking to Reagan on the ledge, you know. Well, it's it, it it really jumps around in the story where you as a reader. Oh, another middle ground I think is pretty much the entirety of multiversity. I wanted to yeah. mention that this where, I think like edges up on like Ultra Comics. Well, I, another point of comparison is definitely Ultra Comics where. So much of Ultra Comics is about making the reader question what it is they're even reading, you know, mm-hmm. and and their particular role in the story. Nameless doesn't quite do that, but it does make the reader doubt which parts of the book are real and which parts of the book are some imagined hellscape, you know? Yes. Because we're going back and forth between Nameless, who is the lead character of the book – who I will con- concede and will say I'm very happy to note is the most Scottish protagonist Grant Morrison has ever written. He's very Scottish. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, like from from jump, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think Morrison does self-insertion characters, because if he does that, he just puts himself in the fucking book. Yeah, I mean, like King Mob. Like King Mob. <laughs> Get, talk about Gideon Stargrave, yeah. Or Grant Morrison as yeah. uh, an animal man. Yeah. He's not going to make a self-insert character. He's going to put on a fiction suit. Yes, exactly. So I don't think Nameless is supposed to be him, but he is mega Scottish uh, in yes. the way he speaks. Very, very much so. But but there are three – there are kind of three key different things that Nameless is doing throughout the book. There's There's a Nameless who's, who's on Earth who's kind of like dealing with the – the benefactors mm-hmm. of this mission to the asteroid. There's nameless on the mission to the asteroid. And then there's nameless sort of caught in Jabalba being, you know, tortured and mutilated. Yeah. And you don't necessarily know which of those is really happening. You don't necessarily know what the timeline is for these things. Cause seemingly nameless on earth seems to be happening after he goes to the asteroid. Cause he's, cause he's trying to get answers about it. Mm-hmm. And, but it's all happening concurrently and it's kind of, I think intended to disorient you as a reader. Very, very much so. Um, I, I mean, Matt, if you want to know like my general impressions, Here's something that might surprise you. Okay. I don't think this book's scary. I don't either. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's got, like, certainly, like, creepy and, and, like, occasionally, like, genuinely horrifying imagery, which Chris Burnham fucking loves to draw. Like, if you know, yeah. if you have seen one drawing by Chris Burnham, statistically, you have seen one where, like, a limb or head is off. Yeah, I, I, I think that Morrison and Burnham both sort of live up to their billing in this book. Yeah. Where Morrison is, like, as weird as people think Morrison is in his yes. writing. And Burnham is as gross and macabre as people think Burnham is in his art. <laughs> yeah, uh, Burnham draws so many mutilated dicks. Oh, for sure. In this book, which, Matt, now did you, you read it in hardcover. Did you read the, the whole, like, uh, little... Uh, closing letter from Morrison in it. I skimmed it. I didn't read it mega closely, okay. but I skimmed it for some context for what was happening in the story. For yeah. sure, I think it is like very interesting to note that, like, according to Morrison, like the ultimate answer of this book is that dudes suck, and uh, and women should say or should slash are going to save the world. Uh, so there's, uh, unsurprisingly, that is reflected in the amount of mutilated dicks <laughs> that I think get drawn in this comic. I, I think that's true. I do think that I I remember reading that in the letter and thinking that that is barely reflected in the text. Barely reflected in the text. Like, I get it in retrospect, but I would not have gotten it had you not told me. Uh, and I don't know how any uh, anyone would get it from this book like anyone who is not like achingly familiar with grant morrison uh would pick that up um also one of the reasons i didn't think it was uh scary matt is i think it was incredibly silly in parts especially when uh the creepy background stuff starts 
and it's a really, really well staged scene. Um, there's a part where somebody's in like a psychiatrist's office, uh, which is always a fun setting for uh, horror stuff, uh, where like the pattern on the carpet uh, starts like becoming eyes that are looking at the person, and like the like walls start ruffling like curtains and. Uh, then eventually, like, separating, and you can see the stuff that's going on behind it. But the stuff that's going on behind it is, like, literal clown faces. It's, like, literal goofy clown faces, which I think is, like, very, uh, like, it's a little too silly to be creepy. I I have a similar feeling, but it's not necessarily about that. It's not necessarily about the imagery. It's about scale. Okay. Because, spoiler alert, if you have not read this book, and we've been spoiling it for 13 minutes now, so sorry. The spookiest number of minutes, Matt. (laughs) Until we get to 666 minutes. God, I hope we're not doing this podcast in uh, 653 minutes. The, The thing that gets me about it is, okay, so the big reveal of this book is that... God is essentially nihilistic. The 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 torture creature that is responsible for everything that happens to Nameless getting his dick mutilated in here is God. God is in Jababa. He is merely a combatant in uh, an ancient war between good and evil, and he really has no regard for humanity whatsoever. Which, existentially, is a terrifying thought. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to relate. <laughs> like, like I, f- I feel like the book doesn't do very much to get you to relate and therefore feel scared. Yeah. Because even Nameless is this hyper-knowledgeable expert on sort of the occult, you know, on, on supernatural kinds of stuff. So so he's not a particularly relatable character. The other people on the mission aren't particularly relatable characters. They're not even particularly, like, characters. Yeah. Honestly. Um, only uh, the female lead, whose name I don't remember uh Chris, you have uh, the book there, you can look it up. Yeah, is it uh Jin Zhao, I think is the is her name? And and uh and then there's also uh Sophie. Sophie is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, Sophia. Sorry. Yeah, Sophia. So, Sophia seems like maybe you could relate to her, but then she kind of has these moments where she knows things that nameless doesn't, and you don't really understand why she knows them. Like everybody is a little elevated beyond human. You know, and Mm -hmm. the situations are so huge in scale and so cosmic that I I don't, as a reader, ever feel grounded enough to feel scared. And and part of effective horror storytelling is that build. You know, we can't just go straight into the the blood and guts, the the mutilation imagery the sort of high-tension stuff without building to it a little bit and having a little suspense. And this book is basically suspense-free. Like, 
aside from when they're traveling to the asteroid, which does a little suspense building, it's like at 10 from go, you know? Mm -hmm. And therefore, I I can't feel scared. Instead, I'm just kind of overwhelmed as a reader. Like, I'm I'm just trying to understand it. Yeah. I think it all makes sense when if you read that um back matter and when Morrison talks about like what nameless is is us wanting to do Lovecraft but not using any of the frankly very overdone Cthulhu mythos stuff like the Traveling of Lovecraft and, you know based in in sort of racist <laughs> yeah ideas from 100 years ago so obviously you know wanting to do Lovecraft without the Lovecraft is it makes sense yeah. And so instead they look to like Polynesian and Mayan uh legends and traditions, which I think comes off as really interesting. I I really enjoyed the fifth planet Marduk that made dinosaurs for a war against God. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, it sort of ends up just being Hey Matt. Yeah. Hey Matt. Hey Matt. Yeah. yeah. What if God was bad? Yeah. What if God was bad? Which is like or at the very least, what if God was uncaring? Yeah, but like, but God is like specifically like a monster, and I like, and I think if you want an example of kind of how on the nose it gets at a certain point, uh, when we see like the the being that we on Earth know as God uh, on Earth, it's this roiling kind of you know like, I mean Lovecraftian mass of like tentacles and eyeballs. Uh, but it's like forming gothic churches, which is a really, really cool design. And, and like Burnham, obviously, like it is, it is very nearly like the thing Chris Burnham was meant to draw, right? Like if there were like yeah. weird boobs on it, which there might be, I didn't look that closely. And Lord knows there's weird boobs elsewhere in the book. My dude loves weird boobs. He he, he loves private parts. <laughs> he does. That, that is. Is very accurate statement about the art of Chris Burnham. Uh, like, I think it's a really interesting image, and it's really like interestingly presented. But it's also like, like baby's first, uh, baby's first nihilism. You know, like, like it's it's somehow like less of a challenging notion to me than what if God had a Hulk, which I really responded to, as you know. Yeah, I, well, I, I feel like, weirdly enough, <laughs> we're talking in a lot of abstractions here, but if, if we're going to do the Immortal Hulk comparison, Immortal Hulk is grounded in a lot of places. Immortal Hulk creates a human story. So what if God had a Hulk can have an impact? Whereas Nameless goes really big, really fast, and... By the end of it, you're questioning whether Nameless ever went to space at all. You know, whether mm-hmm. Nameless ever stepped foot on an asteroid called Jabalba, or whether his consciousness was just totally wrecked by God. Yeah. Uh, into thinking all these things happened. And, and then Sophia ends up, again, spoiler for the end of the book, Sophia ends up killing him. To make Jabalba 
you know, change its course away from Earth. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's got tons of big ideas, which is exactly what you expect from Grant Morrison. It's told in an interesting, if highly obtuse way. Mm-hmm. And it's got exactly the art you want from Chris Burnham. I think this is exactly the book someone wants. Yes. I think this is the book that they were meaning to tell. I don't think it is a... I don't know. I didn't I didn't really enjoy it, honestly. Like and I feel like part of it is this is this is the Morrison that everybody doesn't like, right? Like this is the Morrison that's confusing and like difficult to uh to keep up with. And I don't think it's like the usual case with Morrison, I think, is like if you read it and engage with the text, you'll be fine. But I feel like the invisibles, the filth, this, um, like, Multiversity, I think is fine. Rock of Ages weirdly gets that reputation. I think Rock of Ages is fine. It's just a fucking time travel story. I, I don't know why people don't get it. Uh, but there are certain Morrison books where I'm like, yes, okay, that is the that is a fair complaint. And this, I think, is the embodiment of it. And I remember someone, like, talking, you know, obviously, Pulp Fiction, big hit. And post-Pulp Fiction, like, a lot of people wanted to do stories that were told out of order. Uh for instance, um, like uh, the first arc of Black Panther by uh, Priest and uh, Texera is told very studiously out of order. And I, th- there are even like references made to Pulp Fiction within the book, so you know what's going on. The question is, like, is your story helped by telling it out of order? I think the disorientation of the reader is intentional, and that comes through with telling the story out of order and kind of like what is really happening. But I don't think it does the story any favors. I think it makes the story hard to follow and, again, removes tension. Because to tell a story with tension, you need to tell it in order. Because tension comes from consequence. Uh, and I think this story does, if not a, a poor job of that, it does definitely, like, I have no reason to be scared at any point in this story, you know? Like, other than the fact that there is... is creepy imagery going on. Uh, and I still, like, I still am not sure having read it and engaged with it and listened to you talk about it, Matt, I don't know what really happened in this story or if it matters what really happened in this story. Or if, you know, if that weird page where there's a bunch of like, you know, gross sexual assault stuff and people tearing off heads and a dead dog, like if that happened or not, cause I think it did. Cause we see like a post, uh, meteor killing the moon consequence of the, of that scene. You know, uh, I don't know. Like I did not, this is not the kind of story I enjoy. And this certainly was not an example of a story I enjoy. Yeah. I, I think I probably liked it more than you, but it wasn't even for me, the book I really wanted. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, again, I think it's the book someone wants. I mean, I think it's exactly the book Morrison and Burnham want. It's, it's exactly the book they wanted to make for sure. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you, you talked about the Morrison nobody likes. I, I don't think that's fair. I think that is a Morrison some readers love, but I think it's a small, 
subset of Morrison fans. Yeah. The, there's there's a group of Morrison fans who love the weird, obtuse, invisibles Morrison. We've yeah. established that's not exactly our cup of tea, even though I like some weird Morrison books, and there's some I like less. Um, I don't think this is like down there with the filth in Morrison work, but among the Morrison stuff that has come out, even within the last like five or six years, I don't think I would put it among like what I had to revisit first. I don't know that I would revisit it at all to be quite honest. Like I think I got out of it what I'm going to get out of it. And and that's pretty much it. Also I'm, I'm uh, just Googling around looking for some imagery from this book. Uh, Goodreads.com definitely does has some uh, mutilated dick imagery uh, in it. (laughs) I don't know if if that's a mistake or people knew exactly what they were putting on goodreads.com at that moment. Uh anyway, it's you know, it's interesting, it's well made. It's not necessarily the book I wanted. I I do feel like this team could have told a much a much more effective traditional horror comic and even like a much more effective like Lovecraftian style horror comic. Uh, But I don't think that's what they wanted to do. I think they wanted to do something that was like, you know, weird and Lovecraftian and had a bunch of mutilated dicks in it. And And, they did said, what if God is bad? Yeah. And, And I don't think it is a, it is not a bad version of that, but it is a version of it that I don't care for. Like I, you know, I am gl- I'm v- I'm very glad to have read it, and I don't want uh, Robert to feel bad for having sent it to us because obviously, like, I-, I feel like if you are going to send to uh, strangers <laughs> a uh, a book, it's because you like it, right? Like, I think we can safely assume that Robert wanted to-, to hear us talk about it. So either he really likes it or he really fucking hates it. <laughs> yeah, I-, I would assume if he's willing to spend the money on two hardcovers to send to people, uh, yeah, th- that would be an act of someone who really likes a thing. Uh, but I don't know if I'm ever going to go back to this uh, simply because like par- partly because it's not my favorite genre. Like I don't, I don't particularly enjoy Lovecraftian fiction in general. There was a time when I was really trying to get into it. Like, cause you know, it's a nerd thing that I found out about and I like parts of it. Uh, I, li- I like certain ideas in it, but at the end of the day, man, I got like, I I got the anxiety. <laughs> Like I, got, I, I got that uh, feeling of uh, cosmic nihilism and nothing matters and the universe is at best uncaring uh, in general. Yeah. I Look, I there are things in this that I love. Like you're talking to a, someone whose favorite video game is Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. A, a Lovecraftian eldritch horror video game. Yeah. About unspeakable monstrosities coming out of – uh, you know, a blood disease. And, you know, I, I love Bloodborne because it is all about these people with noble purposes going too far and unleashing something 
they can't possibly comprehend. But you understand their human motivations in Bloodborne when you really dig deep into it. And I think there are kernels in this of understanding the human motivations for what you know all the characters in this book are doing. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of sublimated. Like, like possibly the most human character in this whole thing, or or the one that you can kind of like most grab onto what they're doing is the uh the like tech CEO guy. Uh mm-hmm. who who heads up the whole mission. But you never really see him as a human being. He's always on a drone and you see that he's actually been dead the whole time and is sort of this manifestation of, you know, a malevolent God. And then you see him die as a human later in the book. <laughs> but like the stuff like the exacts are, which is the sort of impossible floating stone in the weird shape. Like, that's fascinating to me. I want to know more about it. You know, like there's a, there's, there should be a moment. I know Morrison probably hates to do this because it feels like hand holding. Mm-hmm. But if there was a moment where just a little more got explained to the reader, I think th- this book would be a lot more effective. And, and I, I wish it, it, I know we're kind of falling into the common criticisms of Morrison, but I do think he falls into that trap sometimes. And this is one of the times he actually fell into the trap of being too obtuse. Yeah. I like, I don't think the, I don't think the, on the whole criticism of Morrison as being like overly complicated and like studiously, like trying to disorient the reader is, uh, is out of line. Cause I think Morrison frequently tries to disorient the reader because so many of his stories are about disorienting things happening. Uh, like Batman is very disoriented in the run up to Batman RIP. Like you're not supposed to know if Batmite is a hallucination or if, uh, or, or if he's a Sheeta or what, you know, like, but I think this is an example of it. Like, being a detriment to the work. I saw somebody on Twitter mention this and I really, really liked it. Uh, and I don't remember who it was. So apologies, but somebody was talking about the difference between, or somebody was talking about Lovecraft. And they said that like Lovecraft came to this conclusion that there were like unknowable forces. Uh, and that we were like, you know, the specks of cosmic dust. Right. And to him, that was horrifying. Like the futility, you know, it was the futility of existence. Uh, and that, you know, these, these horrible, unknowable things that, uh, were kind of beyond good and evil and these concepts that, that we could never even understand. And that to Lovecraft, that was horrifying. Almost as horrifying as, say, the existence of black people. Uh, and then the counterpoint to that was Kirby. And Kirby says that there are these cosmic forces that exist and are beyond us, but they're also within us. And that it fucking rules. <laughs> like, that, that, you know, like, Galactus is a very Lovecraftian idea. God comes to Earth and eats it. Uh, and, like, and that is a thing that, you know, y- you, you read Fantastic Four uh, 50 
and, you know, it goes into the collage. And it's, like, very Lovecraft by way of Kirby. But Kirby's idea is, yeah, so we fight against it. So we, you know, so so we do what we can. And and sometimes that uh, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, but you have to fight. And you have to, like, embrace it. And you have to be who you are. And you have to be yourself. Let me be scot-free and find myself. Uh, and that that is the kind of fundamental difference in those philosophies. And, you know, I'm a Kirby guy, <laughs> Matt, as you well know, as you, as I believe you probably are as well. I think that's well said, Chris. Let's rank this story. Yeah. Uh, it is by no means a technically bad comic. No, not at all. And and uh, I don't think it's going to reside in the, 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 the bottom part of the list. I mean, our lowest ranking Grant Morrison comic as of right now is gotta be the filth. We haven't ranked the filth. Oh, have we? It's bad. <laughs> uh, the, the lowest ranking one we currently have is, uh, Batman Arkham Asylum at number nine twenty. <sighs> uh, you know what? I, I might like nameless more than I like Arkham Asylum because Arkham Asylum is like weirdly nihilistic in the context of, uh, Batman. Oh, like it, it I'm is mistaken. Out of place. I am mistaken. We have ranked the filth. It's at number nine thirty one. It is lower than Arkham Asylum. Yeah, the filth is bad. Uh, I I forgot that we ranked it. We did rank it, and it's at number nine thirty one. Yeah, the filth is so bad that it's one spot above Chuck Austin's Romeo and Juliet, Uncanny X Men, She Lies with Angels. <laughs> the filth is not good. The filth is the filth is a weirdly Alan Moorish, grumpy old man comic. From a dude who uh, prides himself on not being Alan Moore, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think comparing this to Arkham Asylum, Arkham talking about being a a story that achieves what it wants to achieve. I think Nameless does a better job of it than Arkham Asylum does. Yeah. So I would put it um, above Arkham Asylum. I would put it above that as well. Uh, and and also like I know we've talked about him frequently in this. Uh, like in this conversation already, but like it is kind of shocking to me that Chris Burnham, maybe because he draws like a bunch of comics with dicks in them. I don't know, but it's kind of shocking to me that Burnham isn't like in the conversation with Frank quietly with art Adams, with like with Dave Gibbons, even like there is a level of like expressiveness and detail in Burnham's work. Like Burnham might be the, one of the top five like Batman artists of our lifetime. Like he's so good at drawing like weird, complicated stuff. And the way that he does like page layouts is like really cool. I I Uh, think it's almost entirely because of the subject matter of what he's drawing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, cause he didn't draw uh, Watchmen. He drew fucking um, uh, officer down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, But he, he does like truly, like next level work. Like if you like Doug Monkey, if you like Art Adams, if you like Frank Whiteley, like you should like Chris Burnham just as much. I think I love his stuff, even when it's something that I find like personally very distasteful. Like like a lady writing a Nokian script in I guess poop. I think that's a, probably a fair guess as to what that is. How do you think uh, this ranks against say? Earth X. 
I probably enjoy Earth X more because it uh it like works within a I guess like a a, a context I like like speaks it speaks a language I like okay. more maybe it's a bummer it's a bummer and it's like but it's not a grumpy comic but it's a bummer comic for sure yeah yeah it's the comic where uh, Captain America literally wears the American flag as a toga uh huh cause cause symbols cause symbols okay I think it probably might go right below Earth X though cause I think Battle Scars is where we start to get to like actively bad like what is this comic doing uh Matt that's bullshit, and I'm going to tell you why. Because <laughs> it's above Maximum Carnage. Because it's above Maximum Carnage, and Maximum Carnage is good, actually. I mean, according to our ranking, it's not good, actually. <laughs> according to our ranking, it's not at all. And I, like, I feel attacked by that. And I, like, I probably put it there. I don't know. But, like, uh, I think, like, if I told you, would you rather read 14 issues of Maximum Carnage or six issues of Nameless again? I know what side I'm coming down on. Yeah, I would probably read Maximum Carnage again. Is it better than that Jeff Johns, uh, Richard Donner, Superman story? Which I think, more... I think that and what's right under that, Spider-Man Torment, doom, 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 doom. Uh-huh. Those are two stories that I think don't do a great job of trying to do what they have set out to do that don't accomplish yeah. what they mean to accomplish. I, I think that, I think it's very comparable to Thor Vikings, which we have like down under there at, uh, eight But I find like, even when he's drawing the grossest stuff in the world, I find like Chris Burnham's art, uh, Chris Burnham's art to be less, this is going to sound mean, but like, it's, it's very intentional on his part. I find Glenn Fabry's art to be very repellent. And I think that's on purpose. That's absolutely by design. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It. It. It absolutely. So is. I think. I think it's better than Thor Vikings. I th- think it's probably. I mean, yeah. Like Torment doesn't do as good a job of being what it wants to be. Last Sun kind of doesn't do as good a job of being what it wants to be. I think. I think you're right. I think right under Maximum Carnage is where right. it should go. Entering the list of the new number eight seventy one is Nameless by Grant Morrison and Chris Burnham from Image Comics. Uh, Robert, thank you for sending us that book. Thank you for every to everyone who encouraged us to read this and talk about it in October, despite it not being the poll winner. Uh, we will get to the poll winner uh, next month on Comics Catch-Up. That's going to be Thor numbers one through eight from 2014. That's the Jane Foster Thor series. Uh, we're going to be reading that in November, Chris. Uh, that's exciting. That is exciting. I'm actually really looking forward to that. I um, Most of what we read is digital, but I also uh, I have hardcovers of that. Too, so I'm look, I'm looking forward to getting into some some good old fashioned tactile comics, and just you know, just just uh, to clarify, particularly for Robert, very much appreciated. 
that uh, you got us this. I did not dislike the experience of reading the comic, even if I thought the comic itself was not quite what I wanted. So uh, thank you for sending it. I always enjoy. There are very few comics that I have not enjoyed the act of reading. <laughs> and you can hear all about them right here on Warlock Ajax every, uh, every week. All right, everybody. We'll be back next month to talk about some Thor. Thanks for listening to this spooky comics catch-up. Happy Halloween. We'll be back with regular Ajax next week to talk even more about Halloween. Plus, you've got every story ever to look forward to by the end of this month. So stay tuned for all that. Until then, Chris, good catching up. Yeah, good catching up, Matt.